Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 131 of Impact Boom. My name is Nicolene Arns, and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today, we're speaking with Charlie Shred and Mariana Osorio. Charlie Shred is an independent filmmaker from the UK. His video work focused on craftspeople and small organizations dedicated to positive social and ecological impact. Charlie is passionately interested in education and spends much time searching for answers to humanity's biggest challenges. Marianne Osorio is an educator and biologist deeply moved by a liberating education. She developed her work as an educator mostly in state schools in Brazil as a science teacher, researcher, facilitator of democratic practices and catalyst of social environmental projects. Over the last few years, Marianne and Charlie have been in several countries visiting and working with schools, creating videos and facilitating dialogue circles around the purpose of education. This work led to the creation of Wandering School, an independent research project, through which they co-directed and produced the documentary School Circles. On today's podcast, we'll discuss Charlie's and Marianne's insight on what is their view of the challenges in education. We'll get Charlie's and Marianne's thoughts on and perspectives on how social impact can be created through structure and decision-making processes. And we'll hear what Charlie and Marianne believe can be done to innovate the education sector. Thank you very much for joining us, Charlie and Marianne. <laughs> Hello. Good to have you here. Thank you. Thank you, Nicolene. Could you please share a bit about your background and what led you to the Wandering School project? We both come from different backgrounds. As you said, I'm a filmmaker. Mine's a teacher. We kind of came to a shared interest from these two different routes because I was getting really into education, just reading about it and kind of thinking about film as a way to develop consciousness in a way and trying to see it as a way to go more into understanding education. My background is as a teacher in Brazil, so I was doing a lot of uh, assemblies with the students, which is like democratic decision-making process uh, with them and engage in different projects in the schools to transform the school environment. And through this practice, I was facing a lot of challenges, especially to put in, into practice uh, some of the theory that inspired me, especially from Paulo Freire. And I wanted to see from other schools in the world what they were doing, and I wanted to learn from them. So from that point, I went to the UK to do a master degree. I was feeling the need to go back to research and to my studies. So I stopped my work in Brazil as a teacher to do this research in the UK. Uh, and then I met Charlie, and he told me about uh, the project that he was doing before. So he was already visiting some democratic schools in the UK, and he was filming it uh, with some friends. That's right, yeah, I was involved in a little 
project where we were visiting some schools in the UK. We were basically trying to hear the voices of young people in different schools. That evolved into another project around giving voice to kids in schools. But yeah, anyway, that's a long story and it ended up being one of those kind of like trying to do everything projects <laughs> that fell apart <laughs> in the end. Um, but that, that essence kind of brought us together, visiting, dialoguing about schools and how education can be. And yeah, so back then he was sharing, when we met each other, he was sharing with me what he was seeing in the UK. I was sharing with him what I was seeing in Brazil. I went to the UK to study the, the schools in the UK, the democratic schools there. Through my master, I realized that I wanted to investigate the schools in Brazil because mm -hmm. they were closer to the education I, I was inspired by, actually. So ironically, I went to the other side of the world to find <laughs> schools that would inspire me and I realized that they were back home. So I went back to Brazil to do research there. And you took me with you. And then I took Charlie with me <laughs> and he was uh, filming, so he was collecting the data. And from that filming, I could write my, my research. So from that moment, we realized that we were working well together. And this combination between filming and research was nice. <laughs> and we wanted to continue that. And that's yes. where it already started, like the wandering school, like the concept mm -hmm. of documenting schools that are democratically organized. Yes, exactly. exactly. Okay. We, yeah, we were going through lots of different schools, not just democratic ones. This is all, all kinds, all kinds. Some mainstream, some alternative, some democratic, some not. <laughs> and we're not necessarily filming either. A lot of the time we visit the schools and uh, we don't film. And a lot of the time we go and spend, I don't know, it varies from one day to a few months and volunteering sometimes and so just having an experience in the place. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think part of the, the central of the idea was to do a research project based on the dialogue with people. So we really wanted to go to the places and talk to, to people and learn from them what, what they're doing, what are the challenges, how, and how is that, that work relating to the liberating education that we've been inspired by. And as independent documentary makers, what are particular projects that you have found that are really creating an impact? Uh, so, well, I think we can talk about the documentary that we just made, the, mm -hmm. the School Circles documentary, because that was the first project that we felt that came to a point of a final project that we wanted to share with the world. And I think that in itself, it's now ripple, rippling out and creating a lot of impact. So, so the documentary School Circles... We were really driven to see sociocracy in practice because we became very inspired by this as a tool for making decisions. We had this question of, do we want sociocracy to be in a learning community that we might create together? Because this is part of what brought us together and part of our journey is what kind of school or learning community do we wish to create? So, School Circles was an investigation into sociocracy in the context of school. Um, so we drove to the Netherlands in our van and got really involved with these schools and filmed their practices and we're really trying to understand sociocracy and how it works because we, we were completely new to it. We had one brief experience which was really inspiring. We wanted to really understand it more in depth and the whole process was really a learning journey for us 
we were trying to put the pieces together and figure out how to put it into a, a documentary film that could be an accessible resource for others to learn what sociocracy is and how it could be applied in a school education context. Yeah, I think it might be cool to say why sociocracy. So, I don't know, from, from my experience, um, I was doing the democratic decision-making with kids in Brazil. And what I noticed was that when we had a, a conflict, when we had an issue, for example, the kids were throwing chewing gum in their hairs, okay? <laughs> and there was a problem that we had to discuss. And when, when we collected proposals, what to do, the kids were proposing punishments, because that was the way that they knew. They would come up with all kinds of punishments. And then, you know, how, how could I problematize this? That was a big challenge for me, because if I, at that moment, had just say, okay, let's vote. Who thinks that we should do it like that? And who thinks we should do it like this? At that point, we would, we would choose like horrible punishments to the kids. Like, okay, no break time for you. You go and talk to the head teacher and then you have like extra homework and this and this and this. And I realized that my role there was to bring a different perspective. What, what can we do differently? And, and, and that was a challenge in itself because on the other hand, I didn't want it to be leading that. So I also wanted them to decide by themselves and didn't want to have a massive influence on them. But I also saw me with an important role to bring more consciousness to, to that group and bring in different ideas. So from that point, I realized we cannot do decisions through majority vote. <laughs> this is insane because we're just reproducing the status quo. People are going to, of course, choose what they know. And if we only know in a certain way, we're going to reproduce history. And I find this really problematic. And as we were visiting democratic schools, we also saw that a lot of them were facing similar challenges. And the schools, they were really reflecting on their own practice. They shared the same concern with us. Like the teachers, they had a certain perspective on what is the purpose of school. And it would involve, yeah, devo developing a political sense, critical thinking, and then when they bring to the circle for decision-making, the kids will so a lot of the time make proposals that will go against the school's values. And uh, and they were facing this challenge, like, what can we do about it? Because uh, there was the dilemma. And when we discovered about sociocracy, that the decisions are made through consent, we thought, maybe, maybe that deals with this problem. So let's investigate that. And... We found this, the schools uh, in the Netherlands that do it because sociocracy as a method started there. So far, they were the only schools that were that we, we knew that were practicing. Now we know there are more all over the world, and we wanted to document that. And now I see that this is inspiring many people to review what democratic decision making is, what education is. So I see that this has been a a project on its own that is rippling out and creating impact and now people are screening the film in different contexts and they are looking at it to learn from it so I think that's uh, yeah so now the film is complete finished and out there and we're just beginning to use it as a, a catalyst for dialogue mm -hmm. uh, so we're arranging screenings and opening it for other people to arrange screenings and we really hope it to be the kind of the, a beginning point for a really 
co-created or constructed dialogue about how they can bring some of these principles, some of these practices into different educational contexts, especially the mainstream. Yeah, we get really excited when we think about how we could bring student voice empowerment into the mainstream schools to increase that participation so children in the mainstream are not forgotten. Mm -hmm. And how have you seen the educational sector shift in recent years and what are the trends you have seen evolving? Well, the just a bit of a context. So we've been in Brazil, um, in the UK, in Portugal, uh, in the Netherlands and now we are in Spain, but uh, just starting to understand more the context. Well, I think that a shift that we are seeing a lot is um, that a lot of families taking the education of their kids to do their own hands. So mm -hmm. overall, there's a massive movement of uh, homeschoolers growing, growing, growing everywhere. Even when it's not where, where it's not allowed, like in Brazil, it's not legal. I think here in Spain, you're also saying that it's not legal exactly. Mm -hmm. But still, there are a lot of families that are doing that, even being illegal. And there are a lot of families that are starting their own projects. So yeah, we, I think we are seeing a lot of families that are starting to realize how problematic the traditional education is, and they are trying to find new ways to do it. So if, I think that this is a shift, and uh, more and more people are yeah, taking education in their own hands, okay. figuring out how to do it. I'm seeing this trend, yeah, homeschooling big, big time. In the UK, there are also the free schools appearing. So mm -hmm. there is an encouragement for, for people to create free schools, which are, well, you can fund them through many different ways. So you can get funds from corporations, and then you can even have a school that is free, but it's funded by different organizations, etc., etc. So... I'm, I'm seeing this trend which is taking the responsibility out of the government and mm -hmm. putting it into people's hands. And my reflection is that it's both, is a, how we say, we say in Portuguese, like it's a knife with two sides. Mm -hmm. Double-edged sword. Double-edged sword. <laughs> because on one hand, is, you know, people are now building their own education and they are starting to feel by themselves how it is, and, which is great, but on the other hand, it's also reproducing this uh, new liberal way of uh, doing education. So you see now there's a lot of private schools emerging. There's a lot of uh, yeah, these free schools and these uh, small family groups. A lot of them are, are private. And in a way, the government of some countries are encouraging that because mm -hmm. it's interesting that they, are, they can take less responsibility for people's education and then we see that there's a marginalization of those that cannot afford this kind of education and then we see a mass of people that are in state schools being abandoned literally abandoned because who is there to to change the situation who can are uh, perhaps more concerned with their own children because they don't want to see their children suffering and then they take immediate action and then create something with what they can so the same time that these families are building alternatives, I wonder what's going on with the state system. So the trend that I'm seeing is also, well, in Portuguese we say uh, sucacha, <laughs> like a rubbishizing <laughs> of uh, the state's education. Mm -hmm. And that concerns me. Understandably, people are really frustrated with the, the, how the 
state education is going in so many countries. And I can really relate to, you know, a parent who's got a kid or some of their kids in school that are like getting sick or depressed or completely messed up in this situation. And what are they going to do? Well, it's kind of an emergency. It's just take them out. That's what the first thing to, well, first or last thing to do. They're, they're in that desperate situation. Get them out of school. And then what can you do from that point? And it depends on the laws and regulations of that specific country. So in some countries, homeschooling is allowed. So in those countries, you see a big explosion of homeschooling. In some countries, it's, it's illegal. So you see an explosion of um, usually private schools. And then there's people are just trying to find different ways of making it work. And like Miley said, it's, it, it can create this division as well because mm -hmm. the people who are able to do and the people who are not stay in the mainstream. So that's a real problem. We have to try and think with intelligence and love and creativity how to change the whole situation for everybody, not yeah. just for me and my situation. Yeah, and then also how do we allow diversity to emerge? And it's so important that each school is different from each other. And, and on the other hand, don't create competition or don't encourage competition because what happens when you treat school as just business and then people you know they can choose the the school that they want and the schools start competing for clients and this kind of stuff when you start seeing these patterns emerging i find that tricky so um, yeah i'm also interested to know how can we make education accessible to anyone mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's a great insight that I can take home with me as well. <laughs> this is great. I visited many schools that are given example of how to innovate the education sector. And what do you see that they have, that these schools have in common? Well, they are very different, but one thing that I see all of them having in common is looking to the children. They are just starting to look to the children, as we haven't done before. <laughs> so, so far education has been really centered in the teachers, really been, been centered in the content. Um, that we need to pass to the kids, you know, this banking education. And everyone that is problematizing this way of education is looking for more humanizing education, humanizing schools. So we are trying to create new ways to relate to the children especially, I see. And there's a care, a look to, to the children's needs and interests. So this is what they all have in common. I would say with that there's this big uh, kind of rejection of what the state system stands for. So you go from a kind of a focus on the teacher or the content and then shift that to the focus on, on the child. And there's, there's kind of that movement, that kind of rejection or shifting to an opposite pole. I see that happening a lot. And you could also see that in the sense of authority or structure a lot of people kind of reject any kind of authority or structure. But I see that, for me, the more interesting ones are the ones that are kind of creating rather than rejecting. So, mm -hmm. like, yeah. trying a balance between structure and loose movement, finding the not shifting necessarily to the kid as the centre, but as dialogue as the centre. So everybody's learning. In the 20s, John Dewey was already analyzing and studying progressive schools and 
he was already noticing back then this shift to the centralization in the children, as Charlie mm-hmm. said. So the authority became the children and the center of attention became the children. And then that actually created a, an opposite power relation. And the adults and the teachers, they became powerless and they became subordinated to the children. And we also don't want that. So how we all learners and teachers at the same time and how we are learning together, dialoguing constantly. So the school is not for the children. I think this has to be really problematized. The school is not for the children. As long as we think that school is made for the children, then we're missing the whole point. The education is for for life and for all of us. And we as adults, part of that space, we need to be learning as well. Yeah. yeah, and if we're not, we need to break this contradiction that there is a teacher teaching the kid. Uh, it's everybody teaching and learning together, and everybody always has things to learn. Yeah. <laughs> so it's how to facilitate those experiences where we're getting, where we're all growing and learning and connecting together. That sounds like a beautiful community. <laughs> <laughs> you are building your own. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's why I'm just emo- I get emotional with the subject. <laughs> but that's that's okay. Don't worry. <laughs> and you before you talked about the Netherlands already as like your first contact with mm-hmm. the sociocratic schools. Are there any other countries you believe that are really leading the charge when it comes to social innovation in the educational sector? And what do you think they're doing that other countries can learn from? Oh, that's nice. <laughs> I think there's a few countries for different reasons, definitely. Yeah, I'd like to mention Finland. And the reason why I think they're leading the way is because they're tackling this problem that we mentioned before about people running away from the state and starting kind of these private schools. So in Finland, there is only state schools. So you cannot have a private school, which basically forces people to stay in the system and problem-solve that situation. So it reduces the inequality of um, yeah, the socio-economic inequality, mostly. So all the, the more wealthy families forced to stay in the state system. So like, ah, we have to solve this problem. We cannot make our own little elite school. So that, I find that really interesting that they're kind of creating that structure where everybody has to stay together and solve the problem together. That's great. Yeah. On the other hand, when we're also so relying on the government and then, well, elections come and then everything changes, then we're also very vulnerable. A lot of the time we don't know what's going to happen. So it's tricky. We don't know the answers. Like relying so much on the government as well, perhaps is not the way. But at this point in time, most kids are in state schools. And I think... We cannot neglect them, we cannot stop looking at them. Um, so this is inspiring about feelings. Well, and Brazilians might be shocked right now. What? She's going to talk about Brazil. But <laughs> honestly, if we look to this, to the state uh, schools that we have, to the state education that we have in Brazil, it's so, so flexible, it's so open. For example, in Brazil, we don't have national examinations, all right? So you are in a state school and there is no testing at all. Each school has complete autonomy to create their own pedagogical project. So from start, you can create a pedagogical project and you can build a school in any way you want. It's super open. You don't have to organize the school into subjects. You don't have to divide the kids into uh, classes. You don't have to have lessons. You know, this is inside the state system. The teachers have 
a lot of autonomy to develop any experience with the children. And uh, when I was working in, when I was working in the states, I as the teacher has the autonomy to well, assess the the kids' learning, and I can choose to do that with the kids, so they can access their own learning, and I can just you know do that with them and. At the end, we, we come out together with what is, you know, we have to fill the form, which in Brazil is divided in satisfactory, non-satisfactory, and super-satisfactory. So they're just those three. Again, I don't know if it's ideal, but it's not, we're not classifying the kids between 0 to 10, A to Z. And to come out to these three concepts, we can do that with the kids as well. So they evaluated their own learning. Okay, how was my learning regarding this and that? So there's room for so many stuff, so many. And in Brazil, we also don't have a national curriculum. We don't. We have, uh, well, we, some people might say, oh, well, it is a national curriculum. It's not a national curriculum because it's not, it's not compulsory and it's not checked with so much regulation. So we don't have a national curriculum that you have to take, right, mm-hmm. in, in the national examinations. We have... A document called the parameters for a, a curriculum which is a guidance for the schools to put into in, into practice that curriculum and a lot of people have a rejection with the word curriculum but curriculum just means what is learned and this could be values this could be skills this could be content this could be so many things and this document in Brazil they are built based on competencies and, and skills. So it is connected to subjects, so it is connected to content, but the focus is on the skills that we have to develop in order to oh, yeah. assimilate knowledge. So this is really amazing. And also we have the school council. Every state school has a council that is open to anyone in the community, for parents, for teachers, for students, the administrative people in the school so anyone can come to this council and make decisions together is there the space for democracy to happen but we are so conditioned in a certain way that we don't see these roots and we don't know how to do it but honestly in Brazil there's so much freedom we could create the way we wanted but we just don't know <laughs> I think most people don't know but what you're saying, there's a lot of opportunity there. So you encourage <laughs> teachers yeah. in Brazil to yeah. study and to research what would work best in your community. Definitely, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish a lot of countries learned from Brazil because those the national guideline of the curriculum is just incredibly inspiring. Like when Mari was kind of translating some parts for me, I was in tears. It's like, this is amazing. Like, this is what needs to be learned. It's... You know, in the UK where I come from, the curriculum is like very specific content. Like you have to learn this specific part of mathematics, this specific period in history. And, you know, in history or mathematics, the essence is that there are fundamental skills and abilities that can really help us grow. But that gets lost in just the very specific details of the content. I really valued my experience from school and my history because I learned how to evaluate sources and be able to see which is more of a reliable source of information. You know, that's Mm -hmm. an important skill for critical thinking. 
but it gets so lost and a lot of people with history as an example will just get confused with like what, learning about specific dates for things and these all, all these details rather than the emphasis on that ability that value and i think if we shifted the focus more to the abilities those essential strengths to learn and grow and think critically and openly then we will have much more beautiful education system. This is really good can <laughs> to hear. Can I just say one last thing? Yes. So, uh, for example, now in Brazil there is a, a movement of a transformation happening in the state schools as well. Because, well, uh, although I just said that, that they have the space, most of them are just very traditional, very rigid, okay? But this is because of people's own conditions. It's depending on that. Yeah. And um, there is a group of people, and uh, there's a very strong figure called José Pacheco, who's now helping schools to transform themselves. And he, he, he says something really funny, because he says, well, actually what we have to do now is just put the pedagogical project of the school into practice. The pedagogical project of the school is beautiful. If you read it, how schools build their project, is based on seats and shape and engagement and diversity, equity, you know. And then he just said, well, so let's make this happen because right now it's not happening. I think we also need to look, in the case of Brazil, that's it. Like we can look to, to the documents that are there to support us to build this education and actually make them real because right now they are just in the plan of the dreams. And this whole structure was built through a lot of effort from many people and with a lot of influence from Paulo Freire, which is a big reference in the world. So we need to value that. And I like talking about Brazil because Brazilians tend to diminish themselves and to look to the north and what is happening and then in Finland. <laughs> but we can look to what's happening in our country as well. And this is for everyone. Because there's a lot of private schools in Brazil, a lot. What? Because, of course, they, they don't value the education system that they have in the state. Right? Yeah, and I do think that if people, and this is a radical shift, if people were choosing to put their kids in state schools instead, even though they have conditions, economic conditions, to put in private schools, but if they choose to put their kids in state schools and actually engage in their school as parents to change that from within, I think amazing things could happen and mm -hmm. are happening, are happening. Just takes time, but um, I see that as a route. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Let's go for that. <laughs> um, well, to finish up, what books would you like to recommend to our listeners? Mm. <laughs> There's so many amazing books, it's very difficult. Well, but the first one, it will be Pedagogy of the Oppressed from Paulo Freire. So this is the the book that we've been really deeply inspired but any books from Paulo Freire uh, recommends Pedagogy of Autonomy, Education as Practice of Freedom, there's so many. Yeah, well I'm particularly inspired by another author is uh, John Dewey, his book Experience and Education. I've read it probably about four times now, the first time I read it I didn't quite get it, it's very dense and very rich and I had this feeling there's some really important stuff in this book, but it, a lot of it went over my head. And then I went back mm -hmm. to it about a year later after visiting different schools, and I was like, points starting to click. And I was like, oh, right, I understand what he's saying now. And then read it again about a year later, and it was like, kind of starting to blow my mind. It's like really 
understanding what he was trying to say. And I think that book is much more powerful than people realise from reading it the first time, perhaps. Well, it's cool that encourages people to reread books because <laughs> your consciousness grows mm -hmm. with the, the knowledge of the books <laughs> trying to yeah. get to you. So that's a good, good insight. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, there is another one that I find also, it, it taps into a lot of points that we discussed today, which is uh, that the school uh, build a new social order from counts. And yeah, it, it brings a lot of the problematizations that we we brought today as well. So wow. the funny so the funny thing is is that John Dewey and Counts they were writing about some of the things that we're talking about like a hundred years ago. So some of these trends are actually cycles, historical cycles that we kind of go through, and they offer some very valuable insights as to how those cycles could be changed. Sounds good. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming to visit us and to share your generous insights and time. Thank you. And we'll be following you and we'll see the, the documentary in school circles blow on the internet and bring consciousness to a lot of people in education. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank you so much. Maria. Thank you, Nika. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.